this morning in a series uh, about the life and ministry of Jesus found in the Gospel of Luke, uh, Luke's record of Jesus' life and ministry. We're kind of uh, spreading this out through, uh, out this year. Uh, this morning, we're going to be in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. And uh, I'm going to give you a moment to look that up. And while you do, just remind you, Luke was a Gentile. He was a, a Greek physician. He was uh, not uh, Jewish, uh, but he traveled with Paul. Uh, and in that capacity, he had opportunity to meet a lot of people uh, in Jerusalem in particular, and he was able to interview and uh, talk to many of the eyewitnesses of Jesus' life and ministry, and uh, he used that as a big part of his uh, record of Jesus' life, his research that he wrote, as well as uh, comparing notes with other people. And so here we we are. Uh, today we're going to be in Luke chapter 7. Um, we're going to be reading verses 36 through 50. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who led us who lived a sinful life, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. She came there. Now, I can just, I'm going to pause for a moment, but I can just, I can almost hear the other guests whispering to each other. Do you see this woman? Why is she here? How did she get through the door? Who let her in? Who does she think she is coming to this dinner party? This is a party for Jesus. Do you see this woman? Yeah, just for a quick little back story. Uh, all the pe uh, in, in, in Luke, he's very careful to help us understand that there were two responses to Jesus. Um, there were the responses uh, of the Pharisees and the experts in the law and all the other religious leaders. Uh, and it was not positive. In fact, early on, they started trying to figure out a way to get rid of Jesus because he just did not fit their mold. Uh, but on the other hand, lots of people, regular folks, not super religious, law-abiding, rule-keeping church people, but other people love Jesus. In fact, just a few verses before, uh, in Luke chapter 7, verses 29 and 30, Luke records this. He just gives a parenthetical statement in the middle of this, the events that are going on. He, just, he says, all the people, even the tax collectors, yeah, that's like the scum of the earth. Uh, the, all the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right because they had been baptized and prepared by John. But the Pharisees and the experts in the law rejected God's purpose for them because they had rejected John's baptism. John the Baptist 
had been sent to prepare the way for Jesus. And there were two responses to him. The Pharisees and the experts in the religious law and all the religious leaders had rejected him. You know, he's just a wild and crazy guy out there by the river. Uh, he, he's, he says he's not the Messiah. He says he's not the Elijah. He, uh, he says he, he's just one crying in the wilderness. Well, okay, then we'll just ignore him. But the people, the people heard John's call to repent, to turn around, to turn toward God, and they did it. Tax collectors, soldiers, prostitutes, and just regular old folks who were trying to do the best they could but knew they weren't doing very well. All heard John and were baptized as a sign of their turning around and, and, and moving toward Jesus. In these uh, two groups, in these two responses to Jesus, we see uh, two contrasting groups of people, two different approaches uh, to, to Jesus. I'm just going to take a moment here. To, uh, to kind of diagram this as best I can. I'm not a, a great artist, and anyone who knows me knows that. Um, there is, we're going to call it a bounded group. Uh, there, was, there were people on the inside, and there were people on the outside. Uh, everyone knew who was in and who was out. Uh, you had to have the right family tree. Well, which means you had to have been a descendant of Abraham and be able to prove it. Uh, most people in Israel at that time and in Jesus' day could do that. Uh, you know, that wasn't unusual. That wasn't, but that was just the beginning, okay? Uh, because uh, you also needed to obey the rules, all the rules of both religion and society. Their culture had rules and their religious uh, had religious rules about who could come to worship and who couldn't and what they could eat and what they couldn't eat. Now, some of that had come from God, but a lot of it had been developed over time simply to, um, they were trying to keep the laws that God gave by making rules that keep them far from getting close, even close to breaking them. That was, it was complicated, right? Um, on the other hand, there was a centered group. So there was, to start with, a, bound, a bounded group, a group that had a boundary. There, you were either in or you were out. It kind of reminds me of a, a Sunday school song I sang as a kid. And sometimes I, as I think about it now, it kind of, it kind of unnerves me. One door and only one, and yet its sides are two. I'm on the inside. On which side are you? That's a bounded group. I'm on the inside. On which side are you? If you ask me, I'm pretty sure you're on the outside. Now, here's the deal. In a centered group, anyone and everyone could belong. There were no boundaries, per se. There were Jewish people in this group. There were Gentiles in this group. There were Roman soldiers in this group. There were Samaritans, tax collectors, sinners and saints, rich and poor, male and female. So what is it that makes this a group? 
how could bring such a diverse people together? The answer is Jesus, which I indicated there with the cross. And, and the key issue in the group is the direction. Anyone and everyone who's moving toward Jesus, regardless of whether they are in the group or out of the group that's the bounded group, uh, is, is part of the group, is part of the sender group. If you're headed toward Jesus, then you're part of the sender group. Unfortunately, it is also possible to be headed away from Jesus. And so the key question is, where, which way are you headed? Are you headed towards the center? Are you headed toward Jesus? Are, or are you heading away from him? This was the issue. And this was the two groups. And these two groups of people, the people who were moving toward Jesus and the people who were moving away from Jesus because they were in the in group, are together in this house at the dinner party. Nobody planned that, I'm sure. It's about to become very interesting. Okay, so when one of the Pharisees, who's definitely in the in, in group, if there's an inner circle for the inside boundary, it would be the Pharisees. One of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. Well, that sounds hopeful. He wants to have dinner, uh, Jesus come over his house for dinner. And so Jesus went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. That's the way they ate. They reclined. Uh, and a woman in that town who lived a sinful life. Here comes the centered group. She learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping. Let me help you get a picture of this. Uh, when Jesus would be at the table, he didn't sit in a chair. He was kind of more like on a kind of a couch or pillows on, on the floor on one arm so that he could reach it to the table and, and with his feet behind him. So... Here's the table, here's Jesus reclining, and here's the woman standing at his feet, weeping. And she's crying enough, it says, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair. By the way, this is scandalous in that time and day the only time a woman let her hair down and uncovered her hair was in the bedroom. And here she is at a dinner party. She wiped his feet with her hair and she kissed his feet and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee, the guy that's in the in group, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, 
he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is. She is a sinner. So here's the host thinking to himself, Jesus, do you see this woman? I mean, how could you not know she's there? She's all over your feet. I mean, do you have any idea what she's done? How can you be a man of God and not know what kind of woman she is? Do you see this woman, Jesus? How can you be devoted to God and let her touch you? Oh, by the way, that's another one of those rules. Women, even the women in a man's family would not touch him in public. They would keep a distance. And yet here she comes. She's, everybody knows what she is. And she's touching Jesus right here in the Pharisee's house. And he's saying, do you see this woman? Uh, somebody, I, I read somebody once said, you got to be careful what you think when you're around Jesus. Uh, it, it, he had an uncanny knack, and I believe it was because of the Holy Spirit working in his life. He, had, uh, he would often know what you were thinking and talk to you about it. And that's what happened to this Pharisee. He says in verse 40, Jesus answered him. This Pharisee's going, do you see this woman? <laughs> Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Well, tell me, teacher, he said. So Jesus tells him a story. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii. Uh, a denarii is about a day's wage, was, was, was about a day's wage at that time. So you could say that they owed him, uh, they owed about a year and a half, 18 months worth of wages to this one man. That's a, that's a lot of money. But time you start throwing interest on that, it's going to be hard to pay off. Uh, and the other person owed 50. I mean, well, that's about a month and a half. Seven, eight weeks, maybe. Six or seven weeks. Uh, which is, that's a little easier. But the, Jesus goes on to say, neither of them had the money, the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts. Now, which one of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said, do you see this woman? I came into this house and you did not give me any water for my feet. That's a social rule. You wash your guests' feet when they come in out of the dusty roads. I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. In our culture, it's more like a handshake, but that was a way of welcoming. You did not give me a kiss. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head. 
as your honored guest. But she poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus turns to her and says, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. In, in our world today, in this crazy year of 2020, uh, many people ask, where is Jesus? Where is Jesus in this pandemic? Where is Jesus in the social upheaval and unrest and, and the violence and destruction that's in our culture and our society? Where is Jesus now that I've been laid off permanently? Where is Jesus in this, as one person described it, goat rodeo of an election year? Where is Jesus? I'm in complete agreement with author David Butts, who writes, Jesus is not hiding. Did you catch that? When we're wondering, where is Jesus? You, we need to remember, Jesus is not hiding. But his people are caught up in so many other things that we've forgotten. He's our center, and we must turn. We need to turn and move toward him. Instead of being focused on getting closer to him, we're starting to go after this and after that and after this and after that. And then we're going, where's Jesus? Probably behind you because you turned around and started going the wrong direction. You got your eyes on the wrong things. He's called us. To move toward him. Some people move toward Jesus. Others move away from him. So the question is, what about you? How are you responding to Jesus? Chronicles of Narnia is a great series of books. Uh, we often read them for children, but there's a lot of really good uh, truth in there uh, and, and thoughts in there for adults. They make great movies. You can probably watch one uh, this week on one of the streaming things. Uh, Chronicles of Narnia, you can look for it. They were written by a man named C.S. Lewis, and he observed that this world does not consist of two groups of people, 100% Christians and 100% non-Christians. He, he says there are people who are slowly ceasing to be Christians, but who still call themselves Christians. And there are other people who are slowly becoming Christians, even though they don't yet call themselves Christians. We, we, we're either going toward Jesus or away from Jesus, regardless of what we call ourselves. And Jesus could be asking you the same question he asked his host at that dinner 2,000 years ago. Do you see this woman? 
Jesus might ask you, do you see this woman is moving toward me? Look how much she loves me. Do you see this woman as a person that I love and forgive and accept and welcome and who belongs to me? because she's coming toward me? Do you see this woman? Or do you see this woman as an outsider who shouldn't be near me, who shouldn't be near you? Do you see this woman? Jesus asked every one of us, what about you? How are you responding to me? Are you responding like this woman? Or are you responding like this Pharisee? Are you moving toward me? Uh, this is what I want us to get a hold of today. You, we can move toward Jesus or we can move away from him. But he, uh, his love, will always welcome us to come closer to him. See, he doesn't draw a line and say, only these people but not those people. Jesus loved. In fact, this is the sermon of the, uh, in the sentence that hopefully you can grab a hold of and hang on to. Uh, I want you to remember this, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, Jesus' love always welcomes anyone and everyone to move closer. So how can a woman I assume a Jewish woman, because they didn't say she was Gentile. How can a Jewish woman who's led a sinful life, which basically means she might have been a prostitute, how could a Jewish woman who's a prostitute be welcomed to Jesus' feet when a very religious and Holy Pharisee wasn't. Because we can move toward Jesus or we can move away from him. And his love always welcomes us to come closer. Jesus' love always welcomes anyone and everyone to move closer to him. There are no exceptions. There's no small print. There's no one left out. Nothing can keep anyone and everyone from running to Jesus in his love. Nothing. This, I, I'm going to share with you a great summary of this, of this passage and in, in, in this whole idea of what Luke's trying to communicate to us from the life and ministry of Jesus. Uh, it's from the uh, Seabed Daily Text. The author says the Pharisee thought to himself that Jesus was no prophet or he would know the kind of woman with whom he was dealing. But Jesus showed himself to be a great prophet, not only by knowing the true nature of the woman, but by knowing the unspoken thoughts and therefore the true nature of the Pharisee. The Pharisee turns out to be the greater sinner. Yeah, he had no idea and consequently no sense of his need for forgiveness or his need for Jesus. 
the woman turns out to be the person of greater love because she not only knew her sins, but she knew and experienced forgiveness because she turned to Jesus. The Pharisee lives forever, as far as we know. The, the Pharisee lives on enslaved to a debt he can never repay because he never realized he owes it. The woman lives forever free because she's received forgiveness for her debt, a debt she knew she could never repay. The Pharisee, though he seems to have everything, lacks the only thing that really matters, love for Jesus and others. Uh, the woman, although she seems to have absolutely nothing going for her, possesses the only thing that really matters, love for Jesus. She loves Jesus. The Pharisee was so blinded by his own sense of self-righteousness that he couldn't see past himself. Not only did he not see this woman, he didn't really see Jesus. The author concludes, that's it, isn't it? Until we can see this woman and know that we are just like her, despite not having made any of the same mistakes, we will never see Jesus. The surest, safest, and most secure bet in the universe comes down to a singular prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. This is the truth that sets us free. This is the way we learn to see others and Jesus. Do you see this woman? Until you see her and know that you are just like her, even though you did not do the same things, or even if you did do the same things, until you see her and know that you're at the same standing, a debt you cannot repay, until you see that, you will never see Jesus. Do you see this woman? The Jesus prayer is an ancient prayer. It says, the Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now, we can personalize that with a few variations. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a cherished daughter. Because if you are moving toward him, you are part of his family. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a cherished son. Again, if you're moving toward him, you're in the family. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a devoted church member. who still desperately needs mercy. For me and people are Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a preacher. All of us can pray this, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, 
have mercy on me and keep me moving toward you. I want to invite you to pray that prayer with me. Uh, and you know, just make it your own as I pray with you. I'm going to pray some of those variations um, and you can follow along. But let's pray that prayer for mercy. Recognizing that we're just like that woman. And we can be just like that woman. We can be just as thrilled and filled with love because of his forgiveness as she was. Anyone and everyone is welcome to move for Jesus, to move closer to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a cherished daughter. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a cherished son. Lord Jesus Christ, have Son of God, have mercy on me, a devoted church member. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Keep me moving toward you. Amen. So, again, I want to thank you for uh, for watching. It means a lot to to us uh, to know that uh, we've been able to perhaps help you a little bit, encourage you uh, along the way. When uh, when Jesus sees us moving toward him, he fills us with love for the men and women around us. He says, do you see that one? Do you see that one? They don't know I love them yet. And he sends us to love them like he does. Jesus sends those who are coming closer to him, to love those who aren't yet coming closer to him, to welcome them and to bridge them in to the family and into this group centered on Jesus and his love. And so if you're moving towards Jesus, you are also sent to move out in some way, shape, or form to reach people who don't know him yet. You are sent. You are sent. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace.